0: You're listening to the Treasuring Christ Church Podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's Word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. All right, so today we are jumping into fellowship. Uh, And so at this point, we have covered hearing God's voice through His Word, so the Bible, and we've covered uh, communing with God or talking to God through prayer. And so Mike and Eric helped us work through that. I think the first week Mike did a pretty great job at some theological underpinning prior to walking into the Word. Um, and so they, they've drawn out a lot of concepts, but just to kind of maybe rally our minds a bit <clears throat> around, uh, I think, a really important framework that we need to be thinking about in this book, even if you haven't read it, that's okay. Um, it is free online, by the way. You can read it as a free PDF if, if you don't have it, um, as well as there's a um, there's a Habits of Grace workbook that's pretty helpful, so we may at some point do that in a small group setting because um, it's kind of got a daily lesson, but both of those are free resources online. You can't print it, but you can access it if you like to do e-readers, et cetera. So cetera. Um, but what the author does is he spends a lot of time developing this concept of Placing ourselves in the paths of grace or placing ourselves in the way of allurement. Um, I'll give you a couple quotes because he gets those. So Donald Whitney wrote a really good book on the disciplines. Donald Whitney says, think of the spiritual disciplines as ways we can place ourselves in the path of God's grace. Pretty straightforward. And then Jonathan Edwards, the well-known writer and theologian, he says, endeavor to promote spiritual appetites by laying yourself in the way of allurement. Um, and so a, another way to give this example, a couple, couple from the scriptures, uh, we Zacchaeus. Um, you might be singing the song, but Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? Um, and he knew Jesus was coming down the path. He wanted to be in the path of Jesus himself. He couldn't get there, so he put himself in a place where he could be in the past, path of Christ. He climbed a tree. He did what it took to be within proximity and nearness of God. Another is blind Bartimaeus. Uh, he couldn't get to the Lord, he couldn't see the Lord, but he knew where the Lord was going to be. And so he stationed or positioned himself in a place so that when Jesus came by, he was in proximity of the one true God. And so that's what the author spends a lot of time talking through. And I think it's a really helpful framework. I think that's what we kind of need to be thinking about when we think about the word of God, prayer, and even fellowship this morning. Um, And as you think about those two quotes I gave you with Donald Whitney, I want to be clear, we can't force the hand of God to do something for us. We can't change His mind or anything like that. But what we can do is we can place ourselves along the paths of God's grace where we can be expectant of His presence and His blessing. We can place ourselves in the path of God's grace of where we can be expectant of His presence and of His blessing. Um, And so what we're talking through in this book are these regular channels. If you want to use that word of, you know, kind of putting ourselves in the path of or in the channel. We're talking about these regular channels of God's grace. And the author wraps his whole book around this. And so what he does is he says these main channels of God's grace are the word of God, the Lord's ear, which is prayer. And then the body, the body of Christ, which is the church fellowship. So it's three main concepts, all wrapped into this idea of placing yourself in the path of God's grace. And so this is the framework that I'm going to be talking to you about these chapters from this book. Um, You know, I'll go ahead and throw this out there. Not many things I'll say this morning are um, Chris. Okay, most of them are going to be David Mathis himself. Um, What I'm not going to do is literally quote him every second. Just know that I've, I've I've pulled most of this. There's a couple criticisms from here potentially, um, but you'll never know that. So assume everything here is from David Mathis and/or if, if someone I, I quote directly, you'll know you know that as well. So here's an open-ended question to kind of get our our heads going, and don't be shy because we're all family here. When we say the word fellowship, what are some things that come to your mind? People. Food, people. What else? <laughs> Good old Southern Baptist potluck. Okay. What else? Anything else come to mind? Fellowship doesn't have to be in the context of the church, but fellowship in general. Like a youth group. Hmm. Youth group like youth, youth group. Seventh grade youth group. Yeah, the awkward times of life where you <laughs> hopefully felt accepted by a group of Christians, where in fact you probably weren't. But uh, yeah, anything else? of sharing and something sharing even outside of that. Christian fellowship is obviously very unique but even outside of it there's fellowship that's around shared interests yeah shared common commonalities yeah, yeah it's good So in the Greek um, we're not going to get into the depth of this but the word fellowship is fairly synonymous with the word commonality or partnership. those are two important words commonality or partnership and he's going to tease this out in the first chapter. So, I want you to think about it in the context of the first century church um, what was going on in the first century church as the lord was was developing his church? what was going on around them what was the what was the environment like? what was the context like um in the first century church when when it was being established? Was it welcoming of the church it was not, welcoming. not welcoming at all right No. It was, a, it, was a, it was a context of persecution. It was dangerous. It was fearful. It was, um, I mean, the government was coming against it, right? It was, a, it was not a safe environment to be a Christian. So when you begin to think about fellowship and you start thinking about these words that we've pinned out, commonality and partnership, think about it from that context, right? So it was much more than a common love for the same things or much more than just food or even like good, clean youth group fun. You know, it was much more than that. Instead, it was a common union with Christ. It was this common shared union with Christ. It was their common, this is important, it was their common life or death mission in the summons to take the faith of Christ to the world. Common life or death mission. And so this included all sorts of things. I didn't get exhaustive here, but it included bearing burdens. It included praying for one another. It included weeping when one's weeping. It included being joyful when one is joyful. It included preferring one another one another over yourself. Um, it's less like friends. Here's a good example of gathering to watch the Super Bowl if you like sports. And much more like them gathered together as the players on the field in the blood and the sweat and the tears huddled in the backfield in preparation for the next play. So fellowship encompasses a much different mentality than some of the surface-level stuff that we've probably seen, maybe experienced, maybe been a part of. It's this common life or death partnership in the mission for the Lord. And <clears throat> there's some pretty vast implications here. He didn't really go into these, but as I, as I worked through this book um, a number of times, these have kind of come, come to my mind. I want you to think about the applications of these. Number one, here's a huge implication. This is one of the reasons the unity of the church is really important. So the Lord talks a lot about the unity of the church. It's based in the unity of the three Godhead, right? The personhood of the Trinity. But then the the unity of the church is talked about all throughout the New Testament. Like, like basically get over yourself. Unity is important. You're not going to love everybody or want to hang out with them all the time, but you prefer them over you. You love them over yourself. You you forgive one another, you're long-suffering with one another, you're patient with one another, you receive rebuke from one another, you're in proximity to one another, you have differences and, you know, upbringings and ethnicities and likes and dislikes and music tastes and all this stuff, but you've got to be unified, because here's the implication. In the early church, if you were in a commonality partnership for this life-or-death mission and you were not unified, what happens? You fail. Like, it's this, it's this concept of you, you would never go to battle with a group of people you did not trust. The church should be a place where you, yes, expect to get hurt on occasion, but certainly not intentionally, but it's a place where you can talk about those things, you can forgive through those things, you can be honest about those things, you can love well. I mean, th- that's the way the church is supposed to be set up. And so this concept of fellowship, if unity is breaking down, Fellowship won't happen. The second implication is how will we grow in life? In fact, Joel and I were talking about this this morning a little bit. How will we grow in life if at every turn of a difficult relationship or interaction in the church, we shrink back with hurt feelings and we leave? How will you grow? You won't. Period. And in fact, like a lot of times, what we do is we shrink back in, in pride, resentment, hurt feelings. And and we just pull away. But yet, the church says, press in. Like, press in. Talk about that. Work through that. Like, that's think about how close you might have been to your siblings growing up, or even if, if you're married in a marriage relationship. Like, I mean, I, I think I'm a pretty nice guy, but I'm not always nice. Just ask my wife. Like, I, I don't always do the best things or the right things. I'm not always easy to get along with. Nor is she, and she would tell you that. But, but because we've committed to one another in a covenant marriage relationship and we press in and we're long-suffering and we forgive and we work through those hard things instead of shrinking back in resent, resentment, we grow. We grow. That's what happens. And, and guess what? I'm pressed in ways that I don't like to be pressed because it hurts a little bit, you know? But it's good for me, and she's pressed in ways that she doesn't like. And sometimes that happens in relationships in the church. You know, you, you, you're you pressed and somebody says something, maybe from the pulpit, maybe from this room, maybe in an interaction that hurts a little bit. And sometimes it's hurt because they said something they shouldn't have. Sometimes it's because they said something that you needed to hear, but you just weren't ready to hear yet, right? So all of this is what happens when you press into true fellowship. You grow. That's what. That's how God designed it, right? But if you, if you don't press into it, you're missing that. The third thing is, and we uh, this kind of made me think Joel when you said the 7th grade youth group. I used to I was a youth pastor years ago and I used to tell our students all the time, if if a visitor can't come to this group and feel included and encouraged and loved on, where will they turn? And the answer is they're going to turn to the world. And and so if if you are not in true fellowship in the church, where will you turn for encouragement? Like your job? Maybe a couple folks that don't know the Lord. It's not doesn't mean they can't encourage you at all, but true Christian encouragement is distinctive. It's a commonality. It's a desire to push one another towards Christ, which we'll talk through that in the twin text of fellowship in a minute, is what they call it. But where will you turn for true encouragement? If, if you don't press into Christ and, and commit yourself to a local community of people, and, and that community, by the way, doesn't commit to you, because that's a part of it. It's not just... When you join a church, it's not just you committing; it's the church committing to you as well. Period. So it's it's a two way street. So there there's some implications. Um, let me let me throw out a question and see if anyone. I'm, I'm going to jog some biblical knowledge here, and it's okay if you don't have chapter and verse or um, you know even book. But what two texts or any text would you think of being maybe a, a, an important verse that would speak to fellowship. Does anything come to mind? Do not perceive the assembling of yourselves to come. That's Hebrews, yep. It's in that vicinity. It's in that. It's actually in that um, section. Yeah, without a doubt. What else? Anything? Love others as you love yourself. That's a one another verse, although that's not one of the twin, what they call twin texts in this book. It's very, very important. It's a huge, huge important concept um, of loving one another. Yeah, it's great. Anything else? So I'll give you two from Hebrews. I put them on your, oh, I gave you the cheat sheet, actually. I forgot about that. So um, they're, they're your twin texts, and I'll read oh, them wow, to you. Right oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The twin text, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, says this. Um, and, well, I won't actually tell you what. I won't read it to you because we're going to be running out of time. But in other words, this is that, that that verse that tells you to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. So it's in that same context, Sharon, of not, you know, avoiding the assembly or not, you know, uh, forsaking the assembly. So it's this idea. In fact, I tell my kids all the time. It's like when somebody pokes you in the ribs, like you probably hate that. But what happens when somebody pokes you in the ribs? you move. That's the point. That's the point. So the, the concept there in Hebrews chapter 10 is poking one another in the ribs to get us moving. This is a call, by the way, there's some, there's some important concepts here. This is a call to know one another well. This is a call for us to get close to one another and to work to stay close to one another. This is a call to go deep and to deeply consider one another and this is when fellowship is most potent and personal, right? When you, when you purpose to get to know someone and do life with them and know their family and know what they're going through and know how to serve them and just do things to serve them well, that's, that's, a twin, that's one of those twin texts of fellowship because it, it pushes you to go deep. The second one is Hebrews three, twelve through 13. And, and if you read this, in fact, let me just read it to you because this is an an important concept I want to pull out for you, Um, because we're tempted to focus on one part of this verse instead of another. Let's see. Three. So Hebrews 3, 12-13 says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But... Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So let me ask you a question. Who is the focus on in that verse? You're exactly right. But you know what, though, Sharon? Most of the time when people read that verse, they focus on the weaker brother. They focus on the one that could perhaps be falling away from the Lord and their heart being hardened. But really the focus in Hebrews chapter 3 right there in those two verses is the collective community of the church. There's a responsibility. Listen to it again. Take care of brothers, plural, right, church. Take care of church, lest there be any of you an un- evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, here it comes, exhort one another. There's a collective responsibility. Exhort one another. Poke one another in the ribs. Be in proximity to one another. Get close to one another. You know, push to, to desire and consider one another, even when it's uncomfortable or maybe be, maybe is a little inconvenient. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So so it's this idea, and I'll quote, here the charge lands not on the drifting saint to get themselves back on path, but on the others in the community, listen to this, to have enough proximity to that person, enough awareness of that person, enough regularity with that person to spot even a small drift and to war with them or for him against sin. It's this call for us to be in fellowship. It's this call to be so aware and so purposeful in knowing and pressing into one another that if we notice a common occurrence in someone's life, we notice the hard time they're going through, we notice how they need to be served, we notice how they're struggling, but how will you notice that if you're not pressed into a biblical community? You won't. That's the answer. Listen to this quote. And, and this goes to the recipient of a church pursuing them. Fellowship may often be the forgotten middle child of the true spiritual disciplines, but she may save your life in the dark night of the soul. Um, what's interesting, I'll share this with you. In, uh, we've got... I mean, there are often conversations that you wouldn't be aware of and shouldn't be, where someone may commit to a local church and then they begin to kind of you know drift out. And Michael and I take that very seriously because we love people. And so conversations will not by God's grace happen often, but look, we meet with this person and it's like it, it, we would love for you to land at TCC, but what we're most concerned about is are you are you landing in a church? Are you are you in community because we care for your soul. And we ultimately care for the Lord's glory. And so we know what's best used to be in a church community. So if it's not TCC, that's fine. But we we take this call as shepherds, when someone commits their life to TCC and we say we're committing our lives to them, that we, we take that really seriously. And so if someone commits to a covenant membership and then they begin to drift away, we begin to pray and ask God and pray for that person and reach out. And we just had a conversation this past week, you know, either that person is going somewhere else, which is great, you know, praise God, or maybe they're struggling in sin, or maybe they're really working through a lot in life, or maybe they're just too busy and they're not prioritizing church. I don't know. You know, we've all been there in some capacity, but out of a broken heart and a desire for that person to be loving the Lord and growing in their walk and growing in the knowledge and grace of Christ, that that's a part of what we do. It happens, you know, and so that's the type of fellowship that we're talking about. That's the type of fellowship that's not just called of your leaders, but it's also called of you. If you are a committed member of TCC, you're in proximity enough with people where you know what's going on in their life, and you're committed to that. Um, So he goes into this section of what's called making fellowship official. Um, First, just straight out of the gate, true fellowship or true biblical fellowship can only happen after a true relationship with Christ has begun. So outside of a personal relationship with Christ, you can't fully experience true biblical fellowship. Um, And we can talk through a little bit more of that. Those outside of a personal relationship with Christ absolutely can be welcomed in. They can be close. They can be in proximity. They can be loved on, all of that. But a true fellowship with, with Christ is where it all begins because that's how we learn. That's how we're taught through the spirit of God to be community, even when it makes no sense, right, to others around us. Secondly, fellowship is covenantal. This is a shameless plug. It's a covenantal relationship between two parties and they've made formal commitments to one another. Much like a marriage, we make vows to one another with church membership. That's why we do church membership at TCC, because we want to know you and we want to commit to you. We want you to commit to us because we want to do this thing called life and live on this life and death mission to pursue Christ and his glory in a a common partnership fellowship. Relationship, If that makes sense. And so how will we know? How will we commit? And so we can get into all of that. But that's a shameless plug for membership. If you've been considering joining TCC, maybe you've been considering a relationship with Christ, let's have a conversation about it. Don't put it off. Like, what's holding you back? What are you afraid of? Like, this is what the Lord has designed it to be like. He's designed you to be in relationship with him personally and then to be in a covenant relationship with the local church. That's his plan. So don't be afraid of that. Trust the living God. Trust the God that spoke everything into existence to walk in obedience and what he's designed us all for. And then let's get on mission together. Let's do it together. Like, there were eight, ten people at Michael and Emily's house Friday night watching children. So a handful of us could go. I mean, it's the first two hours of a date night that Amy and I have had. And three, like, you, don't, you won't realize for my 40th birthday, we got to go to dinner. It was awesome, but you know? And that would have cost me, I don't know, for a hundred dollars for five children i mean like you serve like we serve together and we, we will do things for one another it's, it's good so membership's great um i'll give one more example because we're running out of time um and i'll 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 keep it quick but it's always encouraged me amy was in a small group in college and she may pipe in here in a second i didn't tell you i was going to tell the story um but they had a they had a friend there were I don't remember how many four or five girls that were in a pretty intense discipleship relationship, prayer life, you know, life on life ministry. And one of the girls walked away from the Lord. Just I don't know, decided that she wasn't in it. And their leader one night had a little boys. She was an older lady. Um, gosh, probably our age actually. Older, yes. So she was our age. <laughs> she was she was my age. Uh, but to college kids was an older. And she brought in those you know little army men, green army men, you know and set them in a circle with one representing each, you know, lady in the group, and she kicked one over, and she said, we've got a man down. And so we're going to pray for this, for her, and we're going to fast, and we're going to seek her out, and we're going to try to bring her back in. And fast forward years later, she's now walking with the Lord, um, and the Lord has done a great work in her life. But, like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's what I'm talking and about. And she got brought back in, I will pipe in. She went overseas for three years as a missionary with yep. IMB. And yep. so was a big spiritual warfare because she had been planning on that and then she just got attacked and was like I don't care about church anymore Yep. and then we we prayed for her when she wasn't praying for herself and slowly pursued her and then when she came back in she was like actually I do want to follow the Lord in that and she went and lived in one of the hardest places for three years and yeah where most people return <clears throat> home from that place and she stayed for three years so yep. it was like mind-blowing yeah so it's just that's that's the kind of fellowship and community I'm talking about Um, so because we are running out of time I'm gonna zip through I've given you a lot of stuff on this page so basically he closes out chapter 13 with this idea of good listening super super helpful concepts here Um, there's other works out there like Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a book um, on listening and then Janet Dunn has a book on good biblical listening that if you want to seek more sources out. But chapter, the end of chapter 13 is really easy. Like I said, it's all available online. Um, but the, he, he walks through six of them. He says, good listening requires patience. Rarely will the speaker start with what's deepest and most important. So you got to be patient when you listen. Secondly, good listening is an act of love. Bonhoeffer said, Half-earned listening, half-eared listening despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. Um, Good listening flows from a humble heart from the mind of Christ. Uh, Third, good listening asks perceptive questions. Proverbs says, it's a fool who takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in exercising his opinion and thus gives an answer before he hears. And so we ask perceptive and open-ended questions and we listen well when given the answers. Good listening is ministry. You want to think about it like that. So sometimes listening can be a greater service than opening your mouth. Um, You know, sometimes they just need someone to listen to them. Many times God simply wants to use me as a channel of his affirming love as I listen with compassion and understanding. That's Janet Dunn. Um, Fifth, good listening prepares us to speak well. Bonhoeffer would say it readies us to minister words of grace to precisely the place where the other is in need. And if we listen with ears of God, we can do that. Sixth, Good listening reflects re, good listening reflects our relationship with God. I think I'll mistyped there. Our inability, listen to this. Our inability to listen to others can be symptomatic of a chatty spirit that is drowning out the voice of God. That's that's pretty heavy. That was pretty convicting teacher. Uh, but those are pretty helpful. He says more in that chapter, and as I've said, there's other things. So cultivating good habits of listening maybe one of the hardest things we do but it'll be worth every ounce of the work as we grow in the grace and knowledge of christ and as we pursue biblical community so here's what we've done and i'm, I'm gonna fly through these next sections i want to give you a few minutes to chat because we don't want to be late to church um you know we've defined and kind of set the foundation of of what you know biblical fellowship is why it's different um he goes into this kindling the fire of corporate worship and i don't remember what i put on your sheet so you okay cool so, you got that one, that one sentence that We were made to worship Jesus together, corporately among the multitude with the great horde, swallowed up in the magnificent mass of the redeemed. So, I, I love those, that language that Mathis writes there. Um, corporate worship's important, it's, it's the single most important means of grace on a weekly basis, and it's our greatest weapon in the fight for joy. Because like no other means, get this, like no other means that we've talked about in this book, it combines all three principles. Corporate worship involves the Word of God, it involves prayer, and it involves fellowship. So all three means, channels of grace that Matthew talks about, corporate worship involves that. That's the way God's designed it. It's very important. And so we have the preaching, and we have the sacraments, and we have the collective praises of the people that are there, and the confessions, and the petitions, and the thanksgivings. And all of this is brought together under the word, under prayer, in the fellowship of the body. Really, really, really special time. It's a really important thing. We, that's why we prioritize it here. We prioritize preaching. We prioritize the words that you sing. We prioritize, hey, come on. It's not that you're honoring God more by coming to church. It's for your good. It's for your good. You're not making God more happy because you showed up to the equip hour. But it's for your good. It's good, and God has designed that. It's God's grace. <laughs> So um, I was going to read a quote on page. Actually, I will do that quickly. Because, uh, I that pretty quick, which is cool. Um, One fifty nine says this because it hit me square between the eyes. It says, um, corporate worship is a means of grace, not when we're caught up with what we're doing. But when we experience the secret worship, the joy of self-forgetfulness, as we become preoccupied together with Jesus and his manifold perfection. So he goes into all of this concept, which we'll walk through in a second, but it's this idea of self-forgetfulness, meaning we're not here for ourselves, we're here for God, and so no matter what's going on in your life, which I'll walk through some benefits of that in a second, when you walk into worship and your mind is focused and preoccupied on Christ, you're caught up in worship with the Lord, and it changes you. It changes you. Not focused on what you get out of worship. Not focused on what you give to worship. Not focused or preoccupied with what happened in the week prior or what's coming. That's easier said than done. I realize that, but that's the way it's designed. So, um, five benefits of corporate worship. Awakening and recalibration to Christ. And I love this language. I may have put it on your sheet. From a spiritual fog or the rough and tumble of the week. I feel that. (laughs) I mean, for Amy and I in this season of life for us, where everything's seemingly converging in a lot of ways. This is a recalibration. Like it resets my course for the week. It's good. Uh, Secondly, it's the assurance of our faith and the others around us. It's encouraging that you are worshiping the God that everyone else around you is. And you're confessing that that is the one true God together. That's assurance of God's faith. And the desire to want to be a part of worship is God's work in your life. Third, it's advance or sanctification, so corporate worship helps transform us in our walk with Christ. Fourth, we're accepting another's leading, something we don't often think about, but when we sit under Michael's preaching or occasionally mine or anyone else's, we're, we're submitting ourselves to teaching. We're, we're learning how to be led. We're learning how to place ourselves under the elders, and we embrace that because we trust that the Lord has given us the grace of God through that. And then fifth, it accentuates joy, Corporate worship helps accentuate and increase our awe and joy and adoration of Christ. Uh, There's an old Swedish proverb that says a shared joy is a double joy. So when we share a joy together, it's a double joy. I like that concept. Uh, So we're not alone in having our souls satisfied in Christ and so really important corporate worship concept. Um, I, uh, I, I'll, I'll briefly mention the last one. So listen for grace in the pulpit. And then he talks about uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then he finishes with uh, rebuke. So um, I won't go through a ton of the, the grace in the pulpit piece. Um, but in other words, preaching is important. Um, as I mentioned, we prioritize that listen to this quote it says preaching is that one half hour each week when the assembly of the redeemed closes her collective mouths opens her ears and heart and hears the uninterrupted voice of her husband through his appointed mouthpiece fallible though the messenger be we hear the words of god through the scriptures it's that one half hour that we stop and we prioritize and we listen to the word of god preached And so true preaching swallows us up again and again in the glory of Christ. That's what preaching should do. If you ever listen to preaching and you don't feel like you're hearing the glory of Christ, it's not good preaching. It's not good preaching. Um, And so there's five graces of preaching. We forget ourselves, as I mentioned earlier. It fills our faith. It helps us grow in grace. It helps us be equipped. And it helps us to encounter Jesus. The highest grace of preaching is encountering Christ to know and adore him and enjoy him as our greatest treasure. So he walks through baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, That's a part of fellowship. Um, I I don't have time to fully get into that. So I can send you some notes this week if you want it. But in essence, baptism marks our covenant initiation to the church. Um, And it's a one-time thing, by the way, in the context of the local church. And then the Lord's Supper is this extraordinary meal that we do regularly. We continue to do it. It signifies, seals, and strengthens Christ's covenant people. So baptism, the initial initiation, done one time in the context of the church. Lord's Supper is continually done. Both of them are a very important part of corporate worship. There's more there, but we don't have time for it. And then in the last 60 seconds, and then we'll zip, the blessing of rebuke. Um, There's a lot that could be said here. He gives us seven steps, which are really helpful, and I would, I would highly recommend you checking out that PDF online and taking a look at it. Um, but he says one of the most loving things we can do for each other in the church is tell each other when we're wrong. But we mustn't miss what makes us distinctively Christian. When, when we tell someone that they're wrong or they tell us that we're wrong in the confines of a Christian community, there are some things that are very distinct. Number one, it, it's a great act of love it's a gift to us because it's intended to keep us from continuing on a destructive path. It's done in grace. It's done in humility. It's done with a desire to honor God. It's done after much time of prayer. It's done, um, kindly, which we'll walk through that. Um, and so it's important because it's like the example I give is if you saw someone in a burning building and they didn't know it was on fire and you didn't go get him out of the building, what kind of friend are you? Or another example is, we had some friends that used to live on a really busy street, and we were me and the husband were talking about this one day. If my kids were playing ball in the front yard, and I kicked it and went past my son, and he starts running towards the road, right? And I see this huge tractor trailer barreling down the road. My son doesn't see it, because all he's he focused on is the ball. I may run over there and tackle him, right? He may get hurt when I tackle him. may hurt a little bit. And in his moment of a four-year-old mind, be like, dad, what? Like, you just hurt me, dad, like mad at me. But from my perspective, I can see that little drift and I can see exactly what's about to happen. What kind of father would I be if I wasn't willing to go tackle my son and pull him out of harm's way? That's the kind of concept of rebuke we're talking about. If you see somebody that's about to shipwreck their life, um, it's it's to be done. So um, D.A. Carson once said that if it's hard to receive rebuke, Even a private one, it's harder still to administer one in loving humility, and that's important because we're pretty prideful people, and it's easy to point fingers at others and say, I can't believe them, or they hurt me, or whatever, but we've got to get away from that. And so he gives seven steps to loving and humble correction. um, There's more details to this, but number one, check your own heart. Number two, seek to sympathize. In other words, put yourself in their shoes and consider how you may want to be approached in sin. Three, pray for restoration. That's always the goal. We should be praying before we approach. Our word should be seasoned with grace and our hearts should be softened to the degree that we need to be like Christ, right? Fourth, be quick. When we become aware of even the slight trajectory of sin, be quick. If I see one of my brothers that might be showing a little too much affection for a woman that's not his wife, I'm going to have a conversation. Hey man, I kind of noticed this. Like, I don't know what's going on in your heart, but like I love you and I love your wife and I love your family enough. Let's have this conversation, you know. And maybe he says, nah, I'm good, man. You know, but maybe in his heart he's, you know, like that's important. I see this small, slight drift because I love him, right? Um, be kind, we should have a tone and demeanor that matches our master. Third, be clear and specific. Sometimes kindness matched with lack of clarity could send the wrong message, so we can be kind, but we've got to be clear. And then fourth, follow up, whether they receive it or not. Follow up. Pursue someone. Seek them out. Um, And so apart from true fellowship, covenant community, the gift of rebuke is taken away. If you don't press into a body of believers, your ability to receive that and to give that is taken away. And fortunately, it's not regular. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's good. I I want the kind of friend. I don't know about you, but I want the kind of friend that's willing to say the hard things. Not just say what I want to hear. You know, may feel good in the moment, but long term, it's horrible. Um, So, we're, we're right at time. We've got to get to service. I know we started late, but any thoughts, questions?